This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful parable, and I pray that today you would illuminate it afresh for us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The parable of the prodigal son is among the best-known stories that Jesus told. It's a great story. It's actually the last of three stories that Jesus told about being lost and found. And before it's in the scriptures, you'll find the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And as the very opening verse of that Luke chapter 15 uh, tells us, these stories are told in response to the grumbling of the religious leaders who don't approve of the kind of company that Jesus was keeping. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed was not what many people wanted or expected. Indeed, to many, it was offensive. Well, the younger son in today's parable was certainly prodigal. He wasted his father's inheritance, squandered his resources, and lived a wayward, reckless life apart from God. And yet, the message of the gospel is that God himself is also prodigal in a different way, in the sense of the extravagant, lavish, and completely over-the-top love that he shows. As Tim Keller in his book of the same name puts it, he is the prodigal God. Indeed, this is at the very heart of the Christian faith. The scandal of the gospel is the indiscriminate and extravagant nature of God's love. God loves Vladimir Putin as much as he loves Volodymyr Zelensky. He loves Harvey Weinstein as much as Bishop Martin. He loves your enemy as much as he loves you. And we may find that ridiculous or scandalous, Perhaps you don't want God to be quite so prodigal with his love. Lavish and extravagant grace for me, sure, but for my enemy? For the person who has hurt me? Not so much. The scandal of the gospel is that God so loved who? The world. The world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that was not what the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to hear. And I have to say, it's not what many religious, respectable Americans want to hear today either. And yet it's at the very heart of today's story. So let's turn to this great story. First, the younger son, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Or in other words, I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance. And then, no doubt, much to the annoyance of the good people first hearing this parable, Jesus says, so he divided his property between them. 
The younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. He spent all his money, and a severe famine swept the land. It was only then, when he'd reached rock bottom, when he'd taken a less than minimum wage job feeding pigs, when he was so hungry that he would gladly have eaten the pig food, that he came to himself. I've always thought that's a bit of an odd expression. He came to himself. What does it mean? Well, I don't think it means that he repented, at least not in the fullest sense of that word. You know, repentance means literally to turn round. And the son was making a start in the right direction. And yet, true repentance also encompasses remorse. And we don't see that in the son. Ken Bailey, in his book, The Cross and the Prodigal, notes that some Arabic translations of this passage have translated, he came to himself as he got smart. He realizes he's in trouble. He's spent the money, he's lonely, he's miserable, he's destitute. He knows that even the lowliest of the farm workers do so much better working for his dad than he was doing right now. So he better go home. At least then he can eat. And at this point, he's not expecting to be welcomed. He's not remotely imagining that his father would have him back as a son and heir. Just that if he made a good enough case for it, maybe he'd get a job on the farm. And so he prepares his I'm sorry speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And Bailey writes, the prodigal does not yet see that the real issue is not a broken law, the money, but a broken relationship. He does not yet understand what he has done and what, is, and what it really means. He's not faced the fact that he's broken his father's heart. And that's what I've done. I've broken God's heart. I break God's heart every time I forget him, every time I think I know best, every time I am selfish. Jesus then paints this surprising and shocking scene of the father. In, in the culture of that day, it would have been considered highly irregular, shall we say, and most undignified for a father to go running towards his son, especially a son that had so insulted him and taken advantage of him. But run he did with arms outstretched. As Jesus tells this story, while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Note, this happens before the son can even begin his rather lame speech. And when he does start into it, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy, etc., etc. He doesn't get the chance to finish it before the father is organizing a party. The father says to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate, let us eat. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. This picture of a wronged and sinned against father lavishing such love on his son gives us a glimpse of the greater prodigality of God's love for the world. What could be more undignified, more humiliating, more costly than the son of God being stripped and beaten and nailed to a cross? What greater demonstration of love could there ever be than God the Father reaching out to us when we were still far off to make forgiveness possible. God longs to welcome people into his family no matter what they have thought or said or done. That does not mean that forgiveness is easy. It never has been. It never will be. Forgiveness is hard to ask for. Forgiveness is hard to give. And sometimes forgiveness can be hard even to receive. Forgiveness is a very costly business. It's never cheap, never easy, and God never says that sin doesn't matter or that it can be overlooked. God takes sin so very seriously that he sent his only son to die on the cross to deal with the consequences and penalty of sin, namely death itself. Though the lost son really didn't have a clue what he was doing when he came to himself and was thinking about getting food for work from his father, at least he did come to himself while he was far from home. At least he did turn around and head for home. And likewise for us, though we may hardly be able to begin to grasp the depth, the height, the length and breadth of, of God's love for us, the first step is always turning towards God. Once we do that, we may be in for the most wonderful surprise of our lives when we discover that all the time our Heavenly Father has been looking out for us. We're reminded in the words of the Eucharistic prayer each week that God stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death we might be saved. In today's parable, it wasn't just the prodigal son who was lost. His elder brother, albeit in a different way, was also lost. Whether straying or staying, we all need to come afresh to receive the love and forgiveness that God offers. But the elder brother just won't or can't see that. And his first response on hearing that his brother's come home is anger. He refuses to go inside for the party. And by his actions, he demonstrated just how much he too was in the wrong. Both of these boys were selfish. Both needed God's forgiveness. But because he wasn't as bad as his brother, because he'd always lived a good life, surely the elder brother thinks he deserves God's favor. And yet again, as the story develops, even though the elder son in his self-righteousness and bitterness and anger is stewing outside, the father takes the initiative. The father comes out and pleads with him. Note how the elder son speaks. He says that he's been working like a slave for his father. Really? And that his father hasn't given him anything. Well, that's not true. 
They'd been working as partners. The father, you remember, had shared out the inheritance. Half went to the younger son, and the other half, he and the older son, were sharing. And yet, the brother, his brother, he describes as this son of yours. How pathetic. How sad. There he had been, enjoying the security and privileges of being with his father, and yet he's taking it all for granted, failing to see all the blessings that he obviously enjoyed. As Tom Wright points out in his commentary on this passage, the phrase which ties the story to Jesus' opponents comes out tellingly, I've never disobeyed a single command of yours. That, of course, was the boast of the Pharisees. I think the saddest part of this story is that we're not told whether the elder brother was uh, willing to be reconciled or not. We don't know whether he joined the party. But in offering us his forgiveness, God is willing to give each of us that which we don't deserve. I wonder, with whom do you identify in this story. I think at different times in my life I've identified with both brothers and now as I'm a little bit older even with the father to some degree. Yet when I was a teenager I, I had a lot of sympathy for the brothers. It seemed to me that preachers always gave the elder brother a bad rap which didn't seem fair as he was the good one and that's kind of how I felt I was. And I also used to think that it'd be great to be able to live the wild, extravagant life of the younger brother for a while. I'd fantasize about driving a red BMW convertible, having lots of money, lots of girlfriends. Wouldn't it be great? And uh, to do whatever you're tempted to do, do whatever you like, have all the money to do it, and then have it all forgiven and be good uh, for the rest of your life. And ideally, I thought the trick would be, naively, uh, to do that just before the end of your life. Happily, I didn't entertain those thoughts for too long. Uh, and today, of course, I've met too many people who've lived lives like that, lives like the younger son, to realize that the thrills and excitement of fast living are so transient, so empty, so utterly depressing. Indeed, rule-free, self-centered living results in hurt, betrayal, loneliness, and disillusionment, if not prison or death. And if you don't believe me, just read People magazine. It's full of it. Actually, don't, don't read People magazine. I've also been thinking a bit more this past week about the father. And I've been challenged afresh by his extraordinary love. Elsewhere in scripture, we encounter Jesus calling us to be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Henri Nouwen, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal, writes, Here is the God I want to believe in, a father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting, never letting his arms drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. His only desire is to bless. 
And now one identifies three ways to a compassionate spiritual fatherhood. Grief, forgiveness, and generosity. First, grief enables us to see the sins of the world, our own included, and leads us to weep. It's hard to have genuine compassion without tears. The evils and horrors of war, abuse, and selfishness of every kind rightly cause us to mourn. Now on that speaks of coming to see this grieving as praying. This grief, he writes, is so deep, not just because the human sin is so great, but also, and more so, because the divine love is so boundless. Second, forgiveness is the way that leads to spiritual fatherhood. I know I have a long way to go to forgive like our Heavenly Father forgives. The third way to become more like the Father is generosity. In the parable, the Father reminds the older brother, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The Father pours himself out for both sons. I wonder, who is causing you to grieve this morning? To whom are you called to forgive again? And to whom will you be generous with your love? And for all of us, whether we find ourselves identifying more readily with the younger son or the elder son, the challenge of this parable remains to recognize afresh our need of forgiveness in our lives. And for some, that might be for the very first time. And for many, it will be a reminder once again of our need for Jesus. In the words of St. Paul from our epistle reading, I entreat you, be reconciled to God. As we come in a moment to receive Holy Communion, let us remember with humility and gratitude how God opened wide his arms for us on the cross. We come to communion not because we're good enough, not because we deserve God's blessing, but because we are sinners. Because we constantly need to be reminded of God's saving love and because each of us needs a fresh empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit to live our lives no longer for ourselves, but for God. How will you respond to God's love that he has demonstrated to you at such great cost. One way that we're called to respond is by being people who engage in reconciliation. As, again, we heard in that epistle reading this morning, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be ambassadors for Christ, sharing his saving love his reconciliation. Oh, that we may become more like the Father, waiting to welcome, longing to bless. Amen.